Welcome to Speak Sex. I am Eve Eurydice. I am a Greek writer and artist from the island of Lesbos. I work on the theme of female sexuality and uh, the purpose for this podcast is for everyone listening and ideally everyone in the world to demystify sex, sexual activity, the body, and to learn how to speak sex fluently and ideally before the actual sex takes place. So instead of having the sex and then stopping and looking at each other and trying to figure out what was that and what it means and where where do we go from here and misunderstanding each other in the process, um, finding ease to move from non-sexual place like, you know, having dinner, uh, being uh, having a, a drink, uh, finishing work, uh, whatever it is, to sexual conversation. So I'm interested in you. I like you. I want to be with you. How would you feel about it? Um, just say it instead of saying all kinds of other things and implying that and thinking that there are unspoken codes and then the other person misunderstands and then you start from... In, in the wrong, you know, in, with the wrong assumptions and proceed from there. Uh, and that's what so much uh, pain, relationship pain, sexual trauma, uh, you know, rape, date rape comes from. So speak sex, everyone. And today's guest uh, is known as Florida Dom, has been in the BDSM lifestyle for decades and um, will talk to us about finding this kind of like fluency to go into sex talk um, without needing, uh, you know, to get drunk or <laughs> or high <laughs> or, you know, f- without fear of rejection. Um, and then from speaking it to kind of like starting entering sexual space with respect and, you know, with mutual clarity and understanding. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, and we also have a few tools on the uh, on the studio table here, which uh, w- we'll ask him to explain in a little bit. But yeah, so you um, apparently have a, you have had a polyamorous lifestyle for a long time, right? My, since my entire life. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so you haven't even thought about monogamy. No, the first time, <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, the first time I had sex, I was 12 and a half years old. And it was with one girl that lived across the hall from me in my apartment house and one girl that lived across the street <laughs> from me. And uh, I would go over there after school at 3 o'clock every afternoon to the one across the hall. And from 3 to 5, the three of us would have sex play. <laughs> and play. And my mother would knock on the door at 5 to tell me, come home, father will be home soon, we have to eat. She thought I was helping them with the homework. I get you. Even though (laughs) I was 12 and a half, one was 15 and one was 13. I was the youngest, but I was helping them with their homework. They weren't that smart. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Thank you. And um, that went on for a couple of years. So I've never... Had a monogamous Wow, so you were good at it, even at uh, 12 and 13. I was trying to <laughs> hone my craft. It. Yeah, you were learning. <laughs> yes. I was going to say sharpen, but that word gives me <laughs> the chills to think I'm sharpening uh, my craft. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I've never really had a monog- uh, monogamous So even if, I see. So have you been married? Yes, twice. Mm. Married now. I'm uh, married now. Mm, okay. One of my slaves is my wife. But now even there, we've been together 23 years, mm-hmm. and we're married for two years. 
Mm-hmm. And when vanilla people ask me why, I tell them because I stutter. Mm. Took I me see. that long to get it out. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah. 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 Interesting. So, um, you had a, both of your marriages were BDSM marriages, and mm. the understanding w- was that you would be free to play in private and in public Correct. with other women, and you I would be do, free yeah. to take more slaves. Yeah, even then, uh, uh, when I was, before I moved to Florida, uh, I owned a company in Manhattan. I'm not going to go into any more than that, but I had a lot of employees, and I was on the board of charities. So nobody knew my real name in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They called me Flash. And mm. That's because of the fire play. Mm, I nice. didn't give myself that name. Somebody else did. Uh, very few, maybe four or five, knew my name. Mm-hmm. And those were people I became friends with over the years. Interesting. And um, just to understand how this works, because you know polyamory is big right now, or at least... Um, the idea of polyamory, I'm not sure if the practice, but the idea of polyamory is, you know, discussed a lot. So it's it, this is one way, right? The, the, does the slave get to uh, play or have sex with other masters? No. In most relationships, yes. In mine, they don't. I have a polyamorous, monogamous relationship. I'm polyamorous. They are not. Right. Yeah. They can only be with me. They don't right. play with anybody else. Nobody else... Uh, people ask permission to hug them, even friends, when we meet. They don't do anything with anybody else. Now, on the flip side of that, uh, we all go through periods in our life. I went through a period, uh, I don't know, 20-some-odd, 23 years ago, mm-hmm. where I was completely out of my mind. And uh, it's a very hard story for anybody to believe, even me when I say this story. But I got on the Internet, and I found a DS chat room. And uh, I had been in a lifestyle over 25 years already, and I was teaching, and you know, uh, and nobody knew anything then. Everybody was new. If you go, if you did an internet search for BDSM, I think eight things came up on the whole internet that had BDSM in them. So if you were in San Francisco, I would say you should go to the Janus Society. It is where it is. And if you're afraid to go alone, Jay Wiseman's a friend of mine. He mm-hmm. wrote SM 101. Mm-hmm. Write him. Tell him. I, I recommend. You. Yeah. I'll give you his email address if you're in Chicago, wherever you were. I could. So the uh, different submissives uh, started texting me, right? Not t- texting, sending me Messaging. IM, messages. Yeah. And we talk, and then they started to call me. And after about three months or so, one called me up. She was uh, an IRS agent from Oklahoma City, <laughs> married with two little little kids. And she said, I have a three-day weekend. Why don't I fly to Fort Lauderdale and we could spend the weekend together? I said, that's a great idea. And she said, where should I stay? And I said, well, if you're flying into Fort Lauderdale, stay at the Embassy Suite, 17th Street. It's two minutes from the airport, three minutes from the beach. So she said, okay. So I went home and I did an internet search for airfare round trip for the next day. It was $1,400. And the hotel was going to run her 1000 at least. And so I said, what does she do? Come home from work and say to husband, I decided to go to Florida weekend. You stay here with the kids, and I'm going to spend three grand. I said, she's not coming. That was BS. I said, but it would be a great idea to have somebody come. So I called four others, and I figured maybe one of them will come. Well, all five of them showed up the next day. What? <laughs> yeah, I picked the first one up at 930, and I took her to Embassy Suites, and I checked her in, and I said, I have to go do some work for a while. I'll be back later. And I went down to the desk. And I said to the clerk, I have to talk to the manager. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing. I just have to talk to him. 
woman comes out and she says, how can I help you? What's the problem? I said, I don't have a problem. I said, I'm bringing five women here today. I can't have any two on the same floor. <laughs> she said, you're kidding me, right? I said, I'm as serious as a heart attack. <laughs> so I had five women John, there. John, take notes. I had five women on five floors. I was running up and down all weekend. I couldn't go down to breakfast because it's in the atrium. They would all. <laughs> so I was exhausted. You were exhausted, yes. Over the next 18 months. And were they happy? They left happy? They left happy. Okay, and yeah. nobody ran into, they didn't compare notes. They, they were happy never... for about a year and a half. <laughs> you know, eventually they compared notes. They weren't so happy. Uh, about 18 months later, I had, this is the part that's hard to believe. I had 136 collared slaves that I owned real time that I was seeing. I saw four and five a day. I was having where, sex. Where? For, where? They would come to Florida, most, mostly Florida. They'd fly in. They'd drive in. A lot of them lived in Florida. I used to consult and have to drive up north. I would stop every two hours and see somebody. My cell phone bill in 97 was over $5,000 a month because they didn't have unlimited call, and they had roaming charges. So it was, I was on the phone constantly. There were times somebody would call me, and I would talk to them 10 minutes, and the call would end. I had no idea who I spoke to. Yeah. Not a clue I mean, who was on it's very hard. A hundred and how many? 136. And at the end of 18 months, uh, I said, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. And uh, I wrote a letter that I sent to everybody. I kept two of them. I let everybody else go. And they formed... Uh, what was in the letter? What did you say? Say, I don't have the time to be what I ought to be to you, obviously. And obviously, you haven't been what I needed you to be to me. So I think for both of our best interests, it's time to... We each look elsewhere. And, and what they did was... They formed private room, uh, private room on, on the website with my name in it and girls. I'm not going to give you my screen name, but it was and girls. And uh, it, you could have, I don't know, 36 people in a room at a time or something. They'd go in there and compare notes. Oh, and somebody would say, well, he liked me. I saw him for Mother's Day. And somebody else would say, I had lunch with him at his house on Mother's Day. And somebody else was, I was with him all afternoon. And somebody else was with me at night. And they got crazy. This was after I let everybody go. So uh, I'm still friends with most of them. That's good. <laughs> I mean, they call me for advice still. And mm -hmm. I help them when I can. And mm -hmm. there's a couple of them mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll So do you think that you did that because... I was it was exciting. I was like a kid in a candy shop. Right. And yeah. when I let them all go, I... It was like a challenge. It was a challenge to no, yourself. Challenge. How much can I do? Or No, it was just... Uh, I just was nuts. Mm. And at the end of the 18 months, I made a vow to myself that I would not have intercourse with anybody that I wasn't in a committed full-time relationship with. And oh, I, wow. And I haven't since mm -hmm. then, 21 years. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody I've had intercourse with uh, right now, it's the women, you know. Your three slaves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nobody else. No, that's good. Yeah, that's good and it's simple, that's to, simple to keep track of. <laughs> yes, much simpler. Yeah. And I know who I'm speaking to on the phone now. Right, yeah. <laughs> that was the real reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was definitely not intimacy. But yeah, I think what happened is that with, with the beginning of the internet, you know, all of a sudden you had access to women around the country. And, you prob and it was amazing. You were not geographically limited. Right. Yeah. So it's exciting. And you had something to prove. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Or yeah. they did. I yeah. don't know. Or, well, they probably had a difficult, hard time finding someone who was not, you know, with, because you don't want someone you know who you will run into at the grocery shop. Uh, if you're married and this is like a private 
private uh, kind of journey. You want to find out, you know, you want it. You don't know how much of it you want. You're still looking for it in the, you know, in the wrong places. Um, a good website to go to if you're in that place now is FetLife, right? A, a good website for polyamory is more than two. More than two. Which is interesting because they just, Janet just came out with a new book with Frank, I forgot his last name, called mm-hmm. More Than Two. Mm-hmm. Janet Hardy. Right, Janet Hardy. Yeah, yeah just came out with a new book, right? Just came out with it. Mm-hmm. They so can th- write fast. They write fast, yeah. those books. Yeah. I think they took the Evelyn Wood speed writing course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they, like, knocked them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I understand. I mean, they're talking about communicating, about... Uh, how to f- you know how to go about it? You know it's kind of like how to books, so yes. they don't have to go very deeply Correct. into emotional. Yeah, they had asked me to write a book for Greenery Press probably eighteen, nineteen years ago on fireplay, mm. and I told them I'm not doing it because somebody's going to burn somebody's head off, and I'll get sued. You get sued, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, so um, but be, so polyamory, uh, more than two, and you can find other people who are interested. It's is it, it's a little like the dating more app. More than two is not a dating site. Ah, okay. More than two is an informational site. Gotcha. Where you can read about it, and they have mm-hmm. great information on that mm-hmm. site. But what are some of the dating sites where you could find couples that wanna swap or swingers or you know? Cre- I, I know that there are you know, sites where you can create a profile yeah. and then you find out about local parties. That life's a good one. I'm, right. I'm really, I don't do any, I don't right, look right. online okay. for anything, so I don't mm-hmm. know. FetLife has polyamory groups. Uh, mm-hmm. I teach that also ar- around mm-hmm. the country. And polyamory is different for me than most people who are interested in it because I, uh, my relationships are master-slave relationships. So it's not minor poly-mono relationships. They are not allowed to be with anybody else. Right, yeah. So it's said, different yeah. than most polyamorous yeah. relationships. Both parties can have other lovers, other people that they're in relationships with. Right, so most polyamory relationships, there is the primary source that kind of is supposed to stay as, as, as the steady main source of uh, supply of intimacy and then the secondary sources well you could have that or you could have both people who have their own right yeah exactly you know areas um we do a lot of stuff together we go on vacations together we travel together when i teach at an event everybody comes we all stay in the same suite uh we do everything together Mm mm-hmm so, uh, but the women do not have sex with each other. No. They only y- have sex with you. Correct. Mm. Yeah, that's a great deal. I mean, uh, I must say. But on the other hand, it's a lot of work. A lot so of work for me. For you, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I need a nap right now. Eve. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have, you know, fiddled as I said before. Eve, just in case fiddled. you were work- <laughs> wondering, I still have Thursdays open from three to four fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I have always thought that being a top um, is much more is much more work, both physically and mentally. Um, so you know, when I have been with a guy who wants to try out, uh, you know, like how it feels to be a bottom and uh, you know get whipped, uh, all, and after like a couple of hours of it, I think to myself, you know, even if I really loved the exchange I think to be full time at top I just wouldn't like it because it's so much work it's physically like you get tired physically and also 
it requires the same focus as like making an art piece or writing, you know, yes. writing. You have to be at that high. You can't not be present. Right. You must be focused and present at all times. Also, let me, let me, being a dominant and being a top are two different things. Okay? Right. Being Explain. a dominant, being a dominant or a submissive or a slave refers to your relationship dynamic. Mm-hmm. Being a top or a bottom refers to your physical dynamic. In other words, when you play. Now, you can be, I have friends that are dominant masochists. Mm-hmm. And if you see them play, somebody's beating the hell out of them every time. They're on the bottom. They are in total control of that scene. The person who's beating them is doing everything exactly right. what that they asked to do. For. Right. And it may be their slave mm-hmm. who's beating them. Hmm. So when you're watching somebody, you really doesn't know. Uh, even with aftercare, you have to be careful because people have come over to me and say, you don't do aftercare. They're right, but they don't know that. I say, you don't know when this scene's over. Mm-hmm. Just because I stop playing there, this scene might not be over till Monday. Well, interesting, yeah. Because the headspace, we're still in that dynamic, and we're still playing mentally. It doesn't have to be when you're hitting somebody. A scene You could have a scene without hitting. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of one that somebody else did. I won't mention his name either, even though he isn't alive anymore. Uh, he was a straight male friend of mine who was involved with a gay organization he was on the board of. And uh, they were having a meeting in, I think, Atlanta. And he, was, he went to a bar that night with them to talk. And one of the guys said, my fa- they were talking about fantasies. He said, my fantasy is to be castrated. He said, since I'm young, I've always... And this guy said to him, if you're serious about that, I could do that. And he said, you could do it? He said, I've done it probably eight or nine times. So he says, I'm serious about it. He said, tomorrow night here, it was a gay leather bar. Meet me here we'll, you know, when we haven't had anything to drink. So the next night, he tied the guy to a genit torture chair. You know what that is? No. There's arms that are straight out. Mm-hmm. You bind the arms to that. There are legs that go down that are spread wide, so the genital area is exposed. He tied his shins, his thighs, his body, his arms, and his head to the chair. Then he explained to him what he was going to do. He took out a knife, took out paper, went like this, sliced it like nothing. He said, I'm going to use this, and I'm going to cut the scrotal sac open to start with. You're going to bleed a lot. Just know you're going to bleed a lot. He said, I'm going to take the knife, and I'm going to cut the tendons that hold your scrotum in the scrotal sac. He said, I'm going to remove the tendons. (laughs) I know. This is not the tendons. I'm going to remove the tendons, I mean the scrotum, and I'm going to sew the sac back up. I'm going to put medication on it. I'm going to put a gauze on it. So you're going to be in some pain for a while. He said, you can't take the gauze off, shower, urinate for 48 hours because you'll get an infection. I'm going to give you the medicine and some gauze. 48 hours from when we're done, take it off, shower, put the ointment back on and replace it. And then blindfolded him. The guy was almost translucent by You could see all the color leave his face. A guy brought him out a bowl of soapy warm water. He held up the guy's penis, took his American Express card, and went across (laughs) the scrotum and released the sponge, and the water ran down his thigh. It feels just like blood. Soapy warm water. Then he took a dull knife. He took the point, and he poked him in the scrotum. And then he took um, uh, thread and actually sewed stitches in it, put ointment on it, gauzed it up, 
took the blindfold off, showed him everything. For 48 hours, that guy didn't think he had his balls. Wow. Until he took That's a the great story. <laughs> That's a mind fuck. Yeah, that is a mind fuck. And I bet you he got over that urge. <laughs> like it, it cured that need to but be castrated because he was, even if in it's his symbolic. Mind, he was castrated. Exactly, exactly. Two days later, he yeah. found out it yeah. really. Yeah, and it's all in the mind. You know, it's like the people who have the, the pain with uh, the missing limb syndrome. You know, and we you cut off the leg and then see, the missing leg hurts. People like to come to my classes. Not It isn't just what I teach and stuff. I'm around, so I have a lot of stories. Mm. And I'm pretty funny when I teach. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I had a guy in Chicago. I've taught there 11 different years. And every year, one of the classes was fire play. And he's in my class eight years in a row. Nice. And he came over to me afterwards to say Is he ever going to graduate? <laughs> well, I said to him, I said, I have to tell you, you are the slowest learner <laughs> I've ever met in my yeah. life. He says, I just come here because this is the most fun I have at the whole convention. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's, there's another story, a friend of ours, uh, a femdom, dame they call him, but femdom, uh, and her husband. There was another friend of ours, Lalique from uh, Cape Cod, went to Kink in the Caribbean. It's a weekend event uh, in Jamaica at Club right. Eden. Yeah. yeah, Kink. She was teaching uh, down there, and she was teaching almost like mummification, but what she was doing was she encased this guy from up here, the dom's wife, husband, she encased his cock and balls in concrete. Uh And then she was going to show him how you remove it with a concrete saw. And she went into a bag. This was on the first day there, and she said, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I left the saw home in Boston. No, no. She said, but don't worry, I'm going to call. Wait, he traveled with this around his cock and balls? No, no, he was there. She did it oh, there. okay. On the beach. Okay. On the beach. She okay. put it on. Okay. And uh, she said, I'm going to call my slave in Cape Cod and have them FedEx overnight the saw. I'll have it all. So the day after tomorrow, we can meet here again, and I'll show you how it's done. You can't go in the water because yeah. you, you don't want to get him fed. You can't urinate, so don't drink. Oh, wow. You can't for 48 <laughs> hours. So two days later... They came back, and they had 300 people around watching. And she took a bucket of water and threw it on it, and it dissolved. It wasn't real wow. concrete. But he walked around like that for two days. He couldn't wear pants. Wow. He couldn't get the pants on. Wow. That's a mindfuck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it works just as well. That's the point. The, the and you're not damaging anybody. You're exactly. not hitting them. Right. But the experience... It's very intense. For them, it's very intense. Yeah. (laughs) And they do get over whatever that desire or fear. or It's very cathartic. You come out different. Yes. Than when you Especially if it doesn't dissolve. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No pun intended. So we have here... I see the knife. I'm I'm interested in... What do you do with a knife? You can do a lot of things with a knife. This is actually a knife I just bought on my trip. I have a lot of knives, different kinds. Uh, you can, I like to white line. White line means, let me have your arm, I'm not going to, white line means I will do it, you see the line? Mm-hmm. But I won't break skin. That's nice. A lot of it, and I appreciate with the music it. <laughs> in the middle of the back, you can also, as I said so to you. So you make a white line I on the skin. I will make not just one, I'll, yeah, yeah. I will play with it, mm. uh, again, w- with the music. So you'll make white line designs yes. on the body. yeah. And you can do it throughout the back and the butt and the legs. You can just spread it. I might take the point in your nipple, Mm -hmm. and that's very frightening. 
Yeah. Because it's very sharp. I'm oh, no, it's very, it's very sharp. I took it. I might use it this way across the nipple. Mm. And that also hurts nice. a little more yeah. each time. Yeah. And you can insert a knife. In the vagina? Yes. Without cutting it? Hopefully. Hopefully. If you don't move. If the the sub doesn't move. If, if the, the vagina the doesn't, doesn't move, move, yeah. Yeah. And they won't move. This is real bondage. Oh, yeah. This they is will real not bondage. move. Yeah, the stakes yeah. are high. And sometimes I might blindfold them and show them this knife mm -hmm. and take out a dull knife with no sharpness mm -hmm. at all and put that in, but they don't know mm -hmm. the difference. So if they move, they won't get cut. Right. And if it's somebody I don't know, I'm not going to take a chance with mm -hmm. them because even if it's their fault, it's my fault. Yeah. So it's always my fault. Yeah. It's so always your fault. It's always, that's, yeah. Yeah. Um, not if you ask my mother. If she was still alive <laughs> today, she would tell you it's never my fault. <laughs> I was an only ch child. Uh, Sounds like so, a true mother. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah you see, so you just touched. So he, he did a white line on my arm. I didn't flinch. I didn't even think about it. And then he went to touch my fingers, and I just pulled them away. And I suddenly, in that moment, right now in the studio, realized that I, I do have a phobia with getting my fingers cut off because I'm a writer and an artist, and I have had hundreds and hundreds of nightmares where it's my fingers getting cut off, which is like my creative power, right? Right. So that symbolism of the dreams came to life just as the knife went But you have to, to realize also what you weren't thinking is if I cut your arm off, your fingers <laughs> probably would be gone but too. But it's not, it's not, yes, you're right. <laughs> but there is no logic to it. No. So part of what the BDSM does is it gets rid of this sort of like latent fear or trauma that's not really related to anything and you want to get rid of it. So when in conscious safe space you say, yes, I want you to play with my fingers, eventually you teach your own neural pathways that there is nothing to fear. You know, the knife is not going to uh, creatively castrate me. Right. And then you let go of that phobia. Correct. So part of the... Of it the gets you past those fears. It I'll gets tell you, you past. I'll tell you one more story that's ridiculous. I was doing a fireplace class right down here in South Florida, probably 19, 20 years ago. And in the back of the space, they had a bondage table, which is like a very big, thick massage table, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I said after the class, anybody, I'll be back there for a half hour. So one of the women who came back there was older. She looked like a concentration camp guard. She had this blonde hair mm. pulled all the way like back. Like a Nazi guard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, she was older. She said to me, I really want you to set my face on fire. And I said, I really don't like to set anybody's face on fire that I don't know. Because if you do anything wrong, it's severe injury. And I don't want to take, I promise I want to promise. And when we spoke for five minutes, I said, okay, I'll do it. And... Um, after I set her on fire, I walked away because it was the end of the half hour, and she said, hi, my name is Lori, ba, ba, ba. She wasn't in the lifestyle. Hmm. The guy that owned the club, who was a friend of mine, hmm. it was his mother. Hmm. So I, she was 70-something years old. Uh, and it was 20 years ago. I mean, I was, uh, what, 12? <laughs> uh, Still. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she says, I want you and my slave to come to my house Friday night for dinner. I said, we're busy Friday night. <laughs> she says, well, here's my number. And she writes her phone number down, and she gives it to me, and I threw it away. Two weeks later, I'm back in the club, and the owner's wife, who was the bartender there, says, you didn't call Lori. I said, I lost the number. She said, well, she calls me every day, and she says, Harvey didn't call. Didn't call. So I give her 
uh, she writes the number down again. She says, here's her number. Call her this week. Next, threw it away. Next week, I'm back in the club. <laughs> Next week, I'm back in the club. Such and, a guy. And she says to me, Lori is driving me crazy. You're calling her right now. I'm getting her on the phone. I'm putting you on. She puts me on the phone with her, and she says, I was talking to my best friend who's head of uh, the burn unit. She's a doctor at a local major hospital. I told her all about you. And she thinks it would be great therapy for the patients if you came mm. down. I said, she's out of her fucking mind. I said, mm. somebody's going to be in a sling with third degree or fourth degree burns and I'm going to set them on fire? I'm not doing it. Mm, but she's right. I would not. I'm not. It would definitely be healing psychologically if they want to go through it because you learn that fire does not always burn you. Correct. So it tells your mind. Something new, you know. What, I mean, the so way we you, deal so you with. So would like me to set you <laughs> No, the, to get you past that phobia. <laughs> I don't have that phobia. My phobia is oh. the knife with the fingers. <laughs> we could do but both at once. <laughs> at once. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I do think that a lot of our, um, you know, we think about sex. It's just a way to get off, or you know. But uh, we have a lot of inhibitions. Exactly. One of the main reasons, uh, the health reasons, to let go of our inhibitions is that they are limiting our mind and they're limiting our potential as human beings. So they're limiting us in other aspects of our lives besides the sexual aspect. Um, and what our mind since childhood tries to do, this is like basic performance psychology, it wants us to avoid pain and to be happy. So when, in, when we're starting and we're super young, whatever happens around us, if we register it as pain, it's possible that for the rest of our lives we will avoid that because it we think it hurt us. So you know, sex is one sex, sex as in BDSM sex is one of the ways to kind of like retrain and unlearn all the lessons that don't serve us, so we can be like more more whole and free um, human beings in our daily lives overall. So if you learn that you can like hold stillness and you can have a paddle and the paddle can you know hurt you and that's not the end of the world nothing happens at the end of it you just like go back to your normal life that is a very basic um you know boundary mm -hmm. that you cross and as you cross all of these assumed boundaries you realize that you know we're not as fragile you also can live a freer life right exactly and you can experience things you will never experience otherwise yes exactly Exactly. And really, that's what it's about. What is this tool that is not leather and it's not rubber and it's it's a nice uh, bright orange red? It's a coax. Uh, you know what cables are made out of? That's what they. Oh, like the an electric cable. Yeah. So it's like a flogger, but instead it's of very stingy, very stingy, uh -huh. it really hurts. Okay. So, okay. and it hurts just as much when you just use the ends of it. Uh huh. Yeah. So who invented that? Uh, An electrician. <laughs> I think it was Albert Einstein. <laughs> Some guy working with a cable was like, hmm. I think it was Albert Einstein on a lonely Thursday night. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> okay, and, and that, the, the rubber one. That's just that's a paddle. Okay. I just brought a it's little rubber paddle. It's just another paddle, and it has... Um, two different sides. Right, so this... Um, that side has raised rubber on the it. The raised rubber definitely hurts more, depending on where it depends goes, Depends how you right? hit it. I could use either side. And it, it leaves marks. It will I would leave, assume all of that these the things raised can leave rubber. marks. Right. Everything Even the paddle? Oh, well, sure. redness, yeah. But mark? Oh, I can mark you with the paddle. Mm. I can mark you with anything. Interesting. 
and uh, we talked about this, but yeah. what do you call this again? It's like a quirt. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, interesting. Very nice. I love that one with the wooden handle and the the coax. The, yeah. No, this one. No, this this, one. this, this looks like an, an electrician had like leftover cable and you know sadistic tendencies. <laughs> no, that, I have it. a lot of different. I have <laughs> one that's a thick coax. You know, like you mm. put your TV on, mm. and it's in a semicircle with a wooden handle, mm. and there's another smaller one inside of it, and there's, it's not really a. It goes like this. And if I hit you easy like this on it, it will leave a semi two semicircular wow. bruises on you for about ten days, just wow. like this. Wow! If I go yeah. back here and hit you, then you're really in trouble. Mm -hmm. That'll cause a yeah. deep bruise. Well, the first time that I heard about uh, women in the in the BDSM world, it was specifically about reclaiming, you know, the experiences, the the, the triggers of being beaten at home, beaten to learn their lesson, you know, being sub subservient because they had to right. by patriarchy. So by choosing this, you you know, you take back your agency and you say, I can take the pain. I do not, you know, and still make like my own choices and my own decisions. So it's one of the ways to turn things around and find your own, you know, your own strength and your own voice. Part of the pleasure and joy, I believe, for the submissive is doing something that's hard to do for them because they really don't enjoy it and to see the pleasure that doing that gives their dominant. Mm. And I think that that brings them joy even though they didn't really enjoy the act itself. Right, yes. The service. Service is, it's all yeah. about service. service. is all about that, yeah. And, yeah. and submission is all about service as well. Right. And but most BDSM play does not involve orgasm, so orgasm comes separately, right? It can or cannot. Oh, it does. Sure, mm -hmm. it can or cannot. I mean, if you go into the leather bars from the early days, I mean that's where they get the term leather sex. Mm -hmm. so you call it BDSM sex, but originally it was called and still is leather right. sex. Yeah, well, and it that's was definitely. Rough. Back then, it was a lot. Of exhibitionism was part of the pleasure. Still you know, is being seen. Still is. Mm. Still is. I love to play in public. Mm. Yeah. And I like to watch others play in public. First right. of all, as long as I'll still see new things. Right. Uh, I like to go to play spaces out of the area I live in that I go to more often because people play differently in different areas. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I like to go to the events around the country and teach because not only do I teach, but I learn also. I meet other presenters they're called not teachers i meet other presenters who have who are fluent in whatever they're teaching mm -hmm. and some of them interest me and some of them don't like i don't do rope i stopped doing rope 45 years ago <laughs> i say that if god wanted us to do rope he would have never invented the nail gun <laughs> so yeah, rope is like a patient. I just it's don't not like for rope. ADD. I mean, you said you get bored quickly, I and that is quickly, the opposite. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a now, very patient others, Maduri loves rope. Maduri's yeah. sensational with rope. Yeah. I have many friends who love rope. More people are into rope now than anything else, I think. Yes, I think so too. And, uh, because it's more easily acceptable. There is no threat, it's just the bondage. You well, don't have pretty. No, you can it do. It looks pretty. You can it's really do damage to somebody. Well, especially with suspension. I know lots of suspension, people who've had yeah. long-lasting injuries from suspension. You really have to know what you're doing. 
But fortunately, like we have a rope group or two locally, and they have classes every month, and somebody who's new can come in and learn different ties and different. So that's right, good. I, you know, I'm not involved right. with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are things that I just don't like, and I don't do what I don't like. My philosophy in life is anything you like to do, you'll do well. Right. Anything you don't like to do, you can force yourself to do well, but you're going to fuck it up eventually. Yeah, and in your f- sex life, in your private life, you shouldn't do what you don't like to do. Right. But how do you find out what you do? You find out by trying things out oh, you and putting yourself out, out there. Because I've seen a j- gerbil once. I don't have to try <laughs> it. Yeah, no, me neither. No, no, <laughs> not the gerbil. <laughs> not the <laughs> What's his name? Oh, God, the Dalai Lama guy, Richard Gere, poor man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, that, that you know, that's probably all talk, but it's just, I, I always associate him with ger- <laughs> the gerbil play. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to go back to my question, where does the, again, from the heteronormative point of view, um, you get together, you negotiate. So unless you are, you have your long-term slave, you're going to negotiate and right. you're going to hope that the person you're talking to knows themselves. Well, they that they that they know, you know, that when they say something, they mean it. So knowing thyself, you know, Socrates, the ancient Greeks, is very important. Yes. It's not just about what you think you want but what you really are prepared to do. What I demand from them is honesty. Right. Don't tell me you've done things you haven't. Don't tell me, you know, if you want to try something, we'll try it and start off lightly, and we'll see how you react to that. Uh, So one of your first questions is, have you done this before? Not one of my my first questions are Mm. health questions. Mm. Are you HIV positive, hep hep B, hep C? Do you, are you on blood thinners, Coumadin, heparin, Zeralta, take aspirins? Because that's going to, do you have diabetes? It's going to let me know if I can bruise you mm-hmm. or how hard I can hit you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I don't want to use toys in you at all if you have one of the illnesses I ask about because then I can't use my toys for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, Interesting. So those are the first things I want to ask. Then? Then I want to ask about experience. Mm-hmm. I want to okay. know what you've tried what you've done, how you reacted to them. I want to ask about what you think your limits are. And are any of those... Uh, I was teaching years ago in... By limits, I'm sorry to interrupt. Things you, you mean won't like do. Okay. In other words, I, was, uh, I had a girl come up to me and ask if she could be a demo bottom for me in my class. And I said, sure. And I said, what are your limits, though? And she said, the only thing we won't do in this class, no canes, mm-hmm. like you yes. saw the other. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I said... I'm going to use a cane. It's a class. I have to teach people things. I said, if canes are not good for you, I'll use somebody else. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, you can use a cane. Uh, but these are things you want to discuss. She might have said, no, I can't. It sets me over the edge. I can't do it. Right. But you want somebody who's honest with you about it, not somebody who says, yeah, it's fine, and afterwards says, you know, I said no. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you have to. So you, they, you so have you to trust them, them a little bit. So you ask them how long have you been in the lifestyle? Have you tried this? Have you done this specific scene before? Well, not specific. I want to know what you've done before. Oh, okay. Have you experienced floggers, whips, canes, paddles, fire, knives? What, what have you? Electric rope. I want to know what you've done. Have you played public a lot? Have you? Which of those have you not done in public? You know, stuff like that. I give you a, a an extreme example. One of the slaves I have now. I was teaching on the west coast of Florida nine and a half years ago, and uh, there was a play party at night. 
And I played with two of my slaves. One of them is here now. One of them was the one that's with me for 23 years. And then a little blonde girl came up and asked me if I played with her. And I asked her the questions, and she was boring to me, and we played for about 20 minutes. She was boring? Why? She was like, you couldn't do anything. She was like, she she couldn't stand anything. Oh, okay. And then somebody else came up to me, and I asked her the questions. And when I got to where I said, what have you experienced so far? She said, I haven't experienced anything. I said, well, maybe not in public, but what have you done in private? She said, I haven't done anything in private. I said, how long are you in lifestyle? She said, three and a half hours. <laughs> I said, I said, you, I said, you were there. Yeah. I said to her, why would you ask me to play with you? Did you see me play with the first two girls? And she said, yeah. And I said, why would you come over to me? She says, well, that's exact. I saw the connection, and I saw that's exactly what I envisioned this, and that's what I want. And I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to play with you. I'm going to start a very light. I'll get a little harder. I'm going to check in with you continually. If either one of us, you or me, thinks you've had enough, the scene's over. And I put her up on a cross, and I told my other slave, it was, there was a table elevated about five feet. There was a landing in front of the cross. I said, go up, sit, and watch her face, because I have her back to me. If her eyes roll back or she looks in distress, just go like this. You give me the sign to cut, and I'm going to end the scene. Mm-hmm. So I started to play with her lightly. And I started, and she started to dance. I walked in. I said, you can't dance. You can't move. She said, I like to dance. I said, after the scene's over, you can dance all you want. You cannot move during this scene. And I played it a little harder, and I came up, and everything was great. And I said, how you doing? She said, can you fuck me here? I said, I'm not fucking you here anyplace else. We're just playing. And I went back, and I played a little harder, and I would check in with her every five, six minutes. I played with her for 45 minutes. No way. She Wait was such a natural. Wait a minute. At the end of the 45 minutes, but maybe she had both, no of, pain. both of her thighs were purple 360 degrees around. Wow. Her breasts were purple. Her back was welted, a massive welts, a quarter to a half an inch across. And her ass was purple and bleeding because she bleeds easy. She bruises easy. Uh, two weeks later, she called me up and asked me if she can come from the West Coast to the East Coast to play again. And I played with her again. Two weeks after that, she calls me up, and I said, where are you? And she said, I'm in the town I live in. Mm-hmm. I said, what are you doing here? She said, I quit my job, and I'm moving here. <laughs> I said, why? She said, I want to be near it. Oh, it's true BDSM love. Well, I said, you know, we haven't discussed anything. What are you ta- why are you doing this? And, I, you know, uh, she's with me now nine years. Oh, okay. So she's your third slave. She's my third slave. Yeah. Well, that's a love story. That could be v- Disney, but it's very but for the bleeding and bad, <laughs> it's and Disney. the purple thighs. Yeah. <laughs> it's very unusual to find somebody. Yeah, she saw that chemistry between you and your other slaves, and, they and say, she picked up on it. And the people today say you should never play that hard with anybody new. Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't unless they're right, really loving yeah. it. Yeah, and you had you did have your other woman staring at her and yes. reading her face, so that's very helpful. I'm always safe. I always yeah for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I like it. So anyway, that's that's. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about polyamory yes. within and without? Uh, polyamory BDSM? is within poly uh, BDSM is very different because it's an unequal dynamic to begin with. So I have the control; they have no right. control. Right. Right. Uh, so if you join the family, you either accept that or you don't. Right. Uh, 
And mine is poly-mono, so it's different than most polyamorous relationships. Right. Um, they have W's and V's, They have and they have right. names. Now you can be a, an anarchist polyamorous. I don't yeah, even... Yeah, the unicorn. A unicorn. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I, and I tell people, I don't know the names. I don't know <laughs> the language, but I'm doing this for, I hate to say it's 61 years. <laughs> I know uh-huh. how it works. Mm-hmm. So, and I've done it pretty, I probably have one of the longest polyamorous relationships mm-hmm. in Florida down here. Nice. Uh, you know, where everybody's do around Do you that do long. like a furniture play, you know, where one where of your slaves. Where there a table or something? Yeah, where your slave is like a coffee table. No, or, only or, if no. we break the table would I have <laughs> one of Would you have to have that? I have no yeah. room in the house for an extra table. <laughs> uh, and they yeah. have other uses because they can't. But you all live separately, right? You're not living I live with, with one. all three. I yeah. live with one. Mm-hmm. One lives about seven or eight minutes away from me, mm-hmm. and the other one lives about 45 minutes away from me. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how do you know, I mean, what do you know about non-lifestyle polyamory? I know lots of people okay. who are non-lifestyle polyamory. Mm-hmm. It's, still, mm-hmm. it's all about consent on the way in, and it's not swinging. No. They're really, if you're polyamorous, the people you are involved with, you have a relationship with. Long not, term. Not just long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and s- you can be polyamorous and they don't know each other, if mm-hmm. that's your rule. Mm-hmm. I don't like to do that. I find it very hard to manage time with people if they're segmented like that. Uh, because then if I have three slaves and I live with one and the other's an hour away, she's not going to see me a tenth of the time another one would. And, uh, people who say you have to eliminate the jealousy are full of shit. There's always jealousy from time to time. Hmm. Uh, there are periods of time where I'll spend more time with one than another or I'll go on a trip with one and not another. Uh, last year I went to uh, um, Las Vegas and Zion National and uh, Sedona, Arizona and the Grand Canyon with two of them. This year, I'm going to Hawaii with two of them, so there's one left out of each trip. Not the same one, but one's left out of each trip. And each time, there's a little, you know, I really would have liked to go on that. But you have to understand that because of your commitments to family or job or life, you can't do that all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I have less commitments because I don't work. So you are the BDSM version of the Mormon guys that we see on TV <laughs> where they have the three wives sister and they wife. run around, the sister wives, yes. and they run around Similar from one to house that. to the other. But you do not have to support them, which is no. nice. Yeah, that's better than the Mormons for sure. Right. And you can, you know, uh, do a BDSM with them, which is much more fun than whatever those people are doing. It's amazing. I run a group... Uh, there's uh, an organization called Masters and Sla- Mast International, M-A-S-T. stands for Masters and Slaves Together. Mm. I run the group in Palm Beach County. And uh, we happened, they came out a few months ago with the average attendance at each of the meetings. We're doing this two years. We have the largest attendance of any mass group in the world. Mm, wow. The second largest attendance is Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> So don't say the Mormons aren't doing the BDSM. Interesting. They are. (laughs) They figured out how to spice things up within the religion. Well, as I said to begin with, I think today in this podcast is that, you know, orgasm is a spiritual experience. And even though our, like, 
you know, religious authorities have tried to tell us that spirituality and sex are the opposite, it's we all know it's not true. Like everybody who has had a decent orgasm knows that that feels like you just knew God. Yeah, but I think get pistachi- out of yourself. I think pistachio nuts are a religious experience. But that's <laughs> another story. I don't know. That's for vegans. <laughs> uh, you I have know, known, I've known people. And the one thing we really didn't speak about, which is the basis of everything, is consent. Yes. It's all about con- that's what differentiates what we do from domestic violence. From dissad or yes. domestic violence. Yes. And yes. and. Um, it's all about consent, and I don't know if you're familiar with non-consensual consent. I, I have heard about okay. it, yes. Non-consensual yes, consent yes. is what we have, mm-hmm. where they have agreed to become my slave, mm-hmm. and that means that anything I do, they consent to. Mm-hmm. So they don't, it's non-consensual because I don't have to ask them right. if I'm doing something new or anything. Now, the rules I have are, we always have to have communication about things. I want to hear what you're thinking. I want to he- hear what you're feeling. And believe me, I'll let them know what I'm thinking, feeling also. And if I say we're going to do something or I'm going to do something and you think it's wrong for you or I'm not looking at everything, we're going to have a discussion about it. I want to hear everything you have to say and I'm going to listen. Sometimes you'll change my mind. Sometimes you won't. But after we've had the discussion and I've reached that final decision, we're not talking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. So you have the veto that power. That discussion's over. Mm-hmm. But I do want to hear what you're thinking, feeling, and then I'll decide yeah. after yeah. I take that into account. Mm-hmm. Like if they have a trigger for something that's going to really, yeah. that I'm not aware Make of. Make them traumatized Let me cry. know about it, then I won't do that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if it's lovely. just that they don't like it, that's not a reason not to do something. You don't have to like it. Yeah. I have to like it. Yeah. Or I have to think it's important enough in your life to do it, even if it's not something I exactly, love. Exactly, because liking is not the only reason to do something. You know, there's a lot to be learned no, some from experience. You, it's, it, or even just to get even with somebody's a reason to do it. That's a joke for those of yeah, you who are listening. Yeah, it's a joke. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think, I mean, and again... Verbal consent is the reason for this podcast. I started it because I felt that for the first time in written history, women got to give verbal consent in like the vast heteronormative relationships. So if we take it from there and we learn from the BDSM experience how to actually discuss what we would like to do, what we can do, what we want to try out, then everything changes. Like the whole the whole experience of the body and its limits, perceived limits, changes. So I'm hoping to demyst- you know, to bring this more into the mainstream as much as possible. So thank you for coming. Thanks thank you for so much us. for I sharing. I yeah, enjoyed the show. Thank you. Me too. We'll do it again. And thank you for listening. Thank you for trusting me as your sex whisperer on Jolt Radio. This is Eurydice. And I'm more like a sex shouter. <laughs> the sex shouter and the sex whisperer we both bid you adieu until uh, next week and until then speak sex my flesh is a beast I am doomed to lag around with me forever like a bear trainer chained to her wild dancing bear my flesh gives me transparency I like. I live in its illusory infinity.
which is the sea in which I lose myself. The first touch brings on my death. I can't see, hear, think. I am old.